Jesus. Amen. Amen. On uh, September 27, 1817, Frederick William III, the King of Prussia, issued a series of decrees which came to be called the Prussian Union. The Prussian Union was an attempt to have only one church or one denomination in that area to establish the first state church. The problem was that there were many churches and denominations in that area, in that state. Uh, The most were Reformed and Lutheran. The solution was then, how do we get them to get along and get into one church? Well, I will do it then by force. (laughs) That was his solution. So he gave mandates. And he said to the Reformed, you need to give up the name Reformed. And he said to the Lutherans, you need to give up the name Lutheran. And instead, you need to use the name Evangelical. Just use that instead, and it's an umbrella term for both of you. On top of that, we're going to change the liturgy, uh, the service, and the practice in the church. And everybody has to do this. And I will also dictate what needs to be said in speech and in teaching and in the sermons and so on. So the demographics of the area at the time, uh, there were about 160 Reformed churches. And there were 7,000 Lutheran churches. For every one Reformed church... There were 44, over 44 Lutheran churches, Lutheran congregations with pastors and buildings and organs and all of these things. Now, there's one big problem in this whole thing. The Prussian Union favored not Lutheran theology, but Reformed theology. And because of this, the Lutherans suffered greatly, profoundly. There were differences on justification, on election, predestination, differences on what baptism is, what the Lord's Supper is, what you receive into your mouth, what it does for you, so on and so forth. All of those things were different. And so there were mandates, and one of the mandates was on the liturgy, and specifically on Holy Communion, or the Lord's Supper. So he said, look, you cannot say, you cannot say, take, eat, This is Christ's body given for you. You can't say that anymore. In fact, what you ought to say is this. Take and eat. Jesus said, this is my body given for you. You see the difference? They added, Jesus said, so it's up to you whether you want to believe what it is or not. But you cannot say, you cannot assert that this is the body of Christ given for you. You just have to say, well, Jesus said that at some point in time, and I don't know how it's affecting reality. I don't know what's happening now. You see? So the Lutherans were put into this position that they, could not, they couldn't say those words anymore. Uh, on top of that, they instituted new practices, something called the fractio panis, which is Latin for the breaking of bread. And they forced the Lutherans to take the bread in the Lord's Supper and to break it in front of everyone, in front of the whole congregation. And it was a way to show, or what they thought, a way to show that and confess that Jesus was not truly present. 
That look, see, I broke it. It's just bread. There's nothing in here. Jesus is not there. And they forced the Lutherans to do that even. Uh, that's why Lutherans have uh, gotten rid of that practice. We, don't, we do not break the bread in the Lord's Supper. Um, now, as all of this is going on, what do you think happened? <clears throat> well, the weak and unfaithful Lutherans, well, they did it. They just were taken away by the current and all those mandates. They gave up and they caved on, uh, they, they caved and they gave up the word. But there were many, many strong, solid, faithful Lutherans who did not move an inch. And they did not change the words that came out of their mouth. They didn't change their hymns. They didn't change the teaching or the sermons. And they didn't change the practice of the Lord's Supper. They continued to do this. They rejected the new decrees. They used the same old hymnal that they had. They kept saying, this is Christ's body given for you and gave it to each one of their members. Uh, they didn't break the bread. The pastor and the congregation, they were united and they were faithful in the word of God. <clears throat> and then... When people found out, they were punished for this. Pastors were defrocked. They were suspended. Their livelihood was taken away. They had no job, no salary to support their families. And what did they do? Those pastors, they kept preaching the word. And they didn't stop. And they went to members' homes and they preached there. When they said, you can't preach here, then they went outside and preached there. And when they said you can't preach there, then they went to the woods and a forest and they preached there. And they kept preaching and preaching and preaching over and over. Christ and him crucified for you. That this is his body given for you. And then when they were caught, they were thrown in jail. At one point, there was a report that says that at times, every Lutheran pastor in that state was in jail. The word of God was so clear to them. The Lord's Supper was so important to them that they were unwilling to give it up. They wouldn't move or budge on that. Well, then there came a turning point that there was just so much oppression, so much persecution against the pure proclamation of God's word that the time came that they couldn't endure this or survive. So they had to find a new land. And it wasn't an easy decision. They left their families, they left their homes, their businesses, their land. Uh, they left their sanctuaries that they built. They left that, their sanctuaries behind. And they came to what we know as the United States. Because they chose doctrine over their own building. Doctrine over anything else. So they built boats and they came to the United States and that's when there was a big influx and many Germans came to the United States. One group of Germans, there's some history here, I have to skip through it or fast forward it, you can look it up on your own another time. Uh, but one group of German Lutherans came down to Florida. Um, they named their town after the town they came from in Germany and they called it Gotha. That was Gotha, Germany, and so they named their place here in Florida, Gotha, Florida. And in 1885, these Lutherans went to Gotha. They settled here uh, just down the street from us. They had no church. They had no sanctuary. They were meeting in homes. And then in 1891, they called a pastor. Uh, his name was Karl Brommer. 
and they were officially a congregation and they said we need to find a name for ourselves what do we call ourselves well why don't we name ourselves from the churches that we came from old from our homeland and they said zion evangelical lutheran church that will be our name and we will be in gotha florida and then they built a church and then in 1894, they called another pastor, Reverend Ed Fisher, and the church grew to about 80 members, and they started a school. Uh, they started teaching the faith, teaching the catechism, Lutheran doctrine to children. And then in 1896, a couple of years later, there was a thing, a big event called the Great Freeze. It destroyed many of the orange groves, and many uh, people lost their jobs, and they had to leave. And so the church then dwindled again. I went from these 80-some people down to uh, only a few. But then after that, then the church grew again. Uh, then came World War I. And then Lutheran, the name Lutheran became synonymous with German. And that meant you were the bad guy. Uh, you were on, on the side of the Nazis or something. So the Lutheran church, Zion, stopped having German services. They had only English services. Uh, but in that time, the church was vandalized, and it was targeted for hate crimes, and their school closed again. In 1920s, uh, there was a railroad, and the Florida grew up again, and Gotha remained small, so they had to move out of Gotha, and they moved in 1958 to a place called Pine Hills, Florida. And they built a new sanctuary there, and then they built a school there. And then in 1971, the demographics changed, and then the school declined. And then the school closed. And then the church grew to about 450 members. And they built a bigger church and a bigger school to fit them all. But when they did this, they uh, took out a debt or a loan that overtaxed the congregation and the resources and membership declined. And it was a loan that was too big that they didn't pay back. So in the 90s, the school closed again. And then in 2000, uh, this, they sold the church and the school in Pine Hills. And then they bought land in a place called Winter Garden, Florida. Uh, in 2008, they built a massive preschool with only uh, 42 members in the church at the time. They had two students in the school. Uh, they struggled to pay the bills, the, the great debt they had. They didn't have a sanctuary. Uh, they had only a school, only a multi-purpose room for the church. They had a massive debt that they carried with them of $2.1 million. Um, then, after about five years there, uh, the pastor retired, and the church dwindled to about 20 in attendance on a Sunday morning, between two services, eight in the early and 12 in the late service. <clears throat> and then on April 30th, uh, 2014, Zion called me to be their pastor, uh, straight from the seminary, with no experience at all. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. So um, apart from Vicarage, no idea of finances or church growth or any of this sort of stuff. I was ordained on July 27th in 2014. Uh, I met with the church leaders. There were about 20 members coming regularly on a Sunday. Uh, and that first meeting they said, 
We have a $2.1 million debt. We have $90,000 cash on hand right now. And we have only enough, uh, and we're projecting that we will be closing in nine months. Uh, so we have enough to stay open for the next nine months, and that's it. Um, and then the church leaders at the time, they told me, they said, look, we understand if you want to take another call. <laughs> uh, I had just come down to Florida. I had just moved in, um, and we, had our, uh, we just found a house, and I was just recently married, and I called Erica, my wife, and said, uh, don't unpack. Um, <laughs> we won't be here very long. So... That, that was the idea, and that was in my mind. So, but, but the leadership then said, look, we understand if you take a call, and my response was, I won't leave. And when we go down, I'll go down with you. Um, but there's one thing. Um, if we go down, we're going to go down being Lutheran. That's it. And... That means I'm going to teach the liturgy. I'm going to teach you Lutheran hymns, how to sing them, the hard ones. Uh, we're going to practice closed communion again. And I promise that I will pour my heart out in every sermon to preach Christ and Him crucified each and every week. Um, and that was my plan. Uh, which was to preach, and that's it. <laughs> preach and teach, uh, in and out of season. And the response then at the time was, well, look, Pastor, if you make all these changes, uh, people are going to leave Zion and the church is going to close. And then I said, well, we're closing anyway, so let's do it the right way. <laughs> let's close faithful unto the end. Uh, nine months later then, uh, fast forward, the church was still there. And the gospel was preached, and we practiced closed communion, and the church grew. And faith in God's word grew. And then a year came, and the same thing. And then two years, and then three, and four, and five years came. And the church grew, and the school grew more Lutheran, which is what I cared about. Uh, then, on the sixth year, we had something uh, crazy happen. There was uh, what people call COVID, the pandemic, and we were told two weeks to flatten the curve. Apparently, it's still going on. Um, Zion missed, we missed one Sunday, and I repent of this. We should have never, never closed the doors, and we never will, ever again. Um, we missed one Sunday. We started up against, again the next Sunday. We stayed open. The church, uh, the church opened the doors. We had the Lord's Supper. The school closed. At that time, we were in a financial crisis, losing about ten to $20,000 a month, still only with $90,000 in the bank. And we were forced to make a decision. And that's when you all, Zion, had the decision to make, one, do something, or two, do nothing, and hope that it goes away. And over 90% of the congregation said, we have to do something. And it will be painful, and it won't be easy, and it will require much of us 
over the next several years, but we will do it. And so, so Zion chose to then sell the facility and break ground and build a new sanctuary in urgency without many resources. And here we are today for the first divine service here in this sanctuary. After over two years of transition, with no offices, no Sunday school room, setting up chairs every single Sunday and then taking them back down again, holding services in the midst of toys and classroom materials and a mess, inflation hitting the highest levels that we have ever seen, wood skyrocketing, um, a hurricane, a tropical storm, no bathrooms, seven weeks of services outside in heat and humidity and cold and rain, mothers and babies uh, in the rain, dear mothers holding their babies in the rain and yet still gathered to hear God's word. Six months of construction delay, and here we are in the sanctuary that God gave us. And you have been here every single Sunday, and none of these things stopped you through all of this. From nothing stops you from coming to hear the word of God and to receive the very body and blood of Christ, your Savior, who gives himself to you. Now, the, the point of all of this, the reason I said all of this and went through the history of Zion, how we got here and why we're here this day, um, I will get to it here in a second. The gospel lesson we saw and we heard, we saw that Jesus told the disciples everything written about him by the prophets must be accomplished, that he was going to be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, he was going to be flogged killed and then raised again on the third day. And then what does it say? It says they understood none of these things and they did not grasp anything he said. But on the other hand, when Bartimaeus, a man who is blind, a beggar, who never saw Jesus' face, never saw his miracles, but only heard the word said about Jesus, he believed it without seeing it. And he trusted it. And he relied upon it and he confided in that word. And what we see here is something miraculous. We see the blind man sees what these disciples can't see. He, and he sees it by faith. He hears the word and he says, that, whoever you're talking about, that is my Savior. That, the, the one who's going to go and, and be uh, beaten and killed and uh, destroyed on the cross, well, that is the one I pray to. That is my God. And he calls him son of David. Now, the, the point of this, is, this application here is, is for you. The same is true for all Christians. You are in the same boat as Bartimaeus. After Christ's ascension, we have not seen him. We have not seen uh, his, his miracles, his works. We haven't seen him walk on this earth. Um, but there are Christians who believe him without seeing, who hear the word, and they will give anything for that. And the same is true of Zion too. The world does not understand the cross. 
They don't understand or grasp the word of God, the sin uh, about sin or forgiveness or Christ and resurrection or the promises of Christ. But for the past 132 years, you, dear Zion, you have. You have seen this by faith. And you understand and you grasp why we, why we need Christ every single day. For the past 132 years, there has been an unbroken chain of faithful Christians who have gathered together under the name of Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church to hear the preaching of Christ crucified and his free and full forgiveness. And this is because God has given you eyes to see what the world cannot see, what the world won't see. And this little congregation, this church, which God has blessed, has the gospel, which is worth more than all the silver and gold in the world, which is worth more than your comfort, or being dry, or your leisure. It's worth more than your business. It's worth more than this building. It's worth more than your country. If we have to travel halfway across the world to hear this word, we will. That has not stopped us before. And those who will is because the Holy Spirit has given you faith to understand your need for Christ and Him crucified, who satisfied the wrath of God on the cross, who won forgiveness with His wounds for you. Out of His love for you, He caused the word to be preached in Gotha, Germany, and in Gotha, Florida and in Pine Hills, and here in Winter Garden. And when one building closed, God built another. And then when that one closed, he put up another, and another, and another, again, and again, and again. Out of love, he has not caused his word to move on from you. He has kept it here for this reason, that it would hit your ears and go into your hearts. This sanctuary, this church, is a gift from God. Look, I know we labored, but God built it. And on Friday, we dedicated the sanctuary to the one who dedicated himself to us, who gave us all he had, who gave us every breath, every drop of blood in his veins, and who distributes this to us, and we receive it here in holy baptism and in the Lord's Supper and in the preached word. So dear saints of Zion, saints of God, We thank God for this great and glorious blessing, for giving us a sanctuary, for protecting this little flock for all of these years through every kind of trouble, through every kind of trial and burden and sorrow and persecution and pain. He did this over the past 100 years. We pray to God that he will do it for the next. If there's anything we ought to learn, it's this, that the only thing we need The only thing we've ever needed, and the only thing we will ever need, is the preaching of the cross, Christ and Him crucified for you, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.